Well, hey guys, welcome back to another Bible study. Uh, so we're going to be, actually we're kind of coming toward the end of our study of Romans. So today we're going to be in Romans chapter 15, verses 8 through 13. And there's only 16 chapters in Romans. And the last chapter, uh, most of it is Paul's just kind of closing comments to the audience and those he was writing to. Uh, so we're really coming toward the end of the Bible study portion of this. I really do pray that it's been a blessing to you. And I would encourage you to share these Bible studies with other people that you know that might be uh, blessed by it and that might benefit from these truths. Also, just go back and rewatch some of them because these truths are important to just have not only be planted in our hearts, but then to be watered over and over by the Holy Spirit uh, in our lives. So, so today, let's go ahead and dive right in. And I'm going to uh, look at verse 8, and then I'm going to go back and just kind of reference the previous verses just to give it a little bit of context. So in verse 8, it says this. It says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. So let's just pause for a moment. So the previous context of these verses is Paul encouraging the Christians as a community. So previous to this, he referred to them as the body of Christ. So the Christians within this community to have unity. So this is something I taught on the previous Sunday where we were looking at the idea that we're called to be unified, that we might have different preferences within the body of Christ, but we can't allow that to cause division within the church. And so in this same theme, Paul is talking to them and he's saying, you need to be unified and he gives Christ as the example. So when you hear the term Christ, we oftentimes just simply associate it with Jesus. Uh, some mistakenly think that was like in some ways his last name because they'll say Jesus Christ. But Christ is the, the word that's used for the Messiah. It's the Greek word for Messiah. It's the one that he was the one that had been prophesied about in the Old Testament. And, and so when, when Paul says that Christ is the example, he's saying the one who came to save, the one who came to lead us from death into life, to set the example of how to live, this person, Christ the Messiah, was and is Jesus, and how he lived is our example. And so if you go back and look at verses 1 through 7, he says, But we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So Jesus was willing to take the sins that people committed against someone else. He did this for their betterment. It's the example. Christ did things for other people's betterment. I mean, it really is the perfect example for us. And as you continue to read, he just keeps kind of layering this truth. There should be unity. You should do things so that you're blessing other people. And then in verse 7, he says, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So you need to understand he's talking to a Jewish audience, but he's also talking to a Gentile, a non-Jewish audience. He says, don't forget, God welcomed you. Okay, so that's the context for this. So now we go back to verse 8, and he says, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Now, this is a powerful truth that he's talking about here. He's saying that God, what he did is he became a servant to the Jewish 
people. Christ came and served them. Now, this is important to note because what we're talking about is God in the flesh. What could have happened and would have been 100% okay and justified is Christ could have came to be served. He would, this would have been uh, perfectly normal, healthy, right even. He came, he's perfect, he's God in the flesh. We should have worshiped him and served him. But he goes, this is the model that he set for us because this is how we're designed to live and this is the better way to live. God, though being fully God, being perfect in heaven, took the form of man to serve, to serve the Jewish people. He uses the phrase the circumcised. And what he means by that is the Jewish covenant with God began in circumcision. So only the Jewish people did this as an act of worship and dedication to God. So he came to serve the Jewish people. Why? To show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. What he's saying is when God created a nation for himself, he made promises to that nation. And, the, and we, we got to pause and just go, like, let's think about this for a moment. Why did God create a nation for himself? Was it to better his own life? It was not. God created a nation, first and foremost, to bless that nation, to love them. He, he told them in Deuteronomy, he says, you know why I picked you out of all the nations of the world to show my love on you? Because I love you. <laughs> like I quote that verse all the time. He goes, you know why I loved you? Because I loved you. God created this nation to uniquely relate to them, to be a blessing to them. God wanted to just show his love in dramatic fashion to this people group. And he made them promises. And the promises he made is that if you will trust me, you will walk in obedience. I will be your God. I will bless you literally like in every single way physical health, even financial health and relational health. I'll defend you against other nations. Your land will be a prosperous nation and land and your crops and everything. Like he even told them, he said, like, you will actually have a lot of children even. I'm going to bless you in every capacity. And he made these promises. And this group who failed God over and over and over again, God did not give up on his promises. The same way God still doesn't give up on his promises to us. And so God made promises, and God fulfilled them perfectly in Jesus. And you know why God did all of this? So this is what Paul is saying, okay? He did all of this for the Jewish people. He loved them because he loved them. So you can stop there and go, is that true? Yes. But is that the full picture? No. There's another layer to it. Why did God love them as a people? Because he was going to use that love of his chosen people and how he related to them to be an example for all, for all other people groups. And this is critically important for us to understand. God blesses each generation so that that generation can be a witness to the next generation. So God blesses a generation of believers so that in that relationship, it will be an example and then other people will be drawn in. So every generation is blessed to be a blessing. So all of that's the context. Now let's go into verse nine. He says, and in order that, so what's the first part? He did this to honor his promises that he made to the patriarchs, the, the leaders of the Jewish people. He told me he was gonna bless them. He did all of that, so that's one purpose. But what's the second? And 
in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. So God blessed them, served them, the Jewish people, so that the Gentiles could be witness of this. And they could see God's love. They can see God's nature and his character. They can see how he interacts in relationship and they can be drawn to it so that they could be saved. So how I word it when I, when I preach this sermon is that for each individual to understand you are the end in the sense of you hear the, the phrase means to an end, you are the end. God wants to love you. That's, a, that's the purpose of God. But at the same time that you are the end or an end, you are also a means to an end. That God threw his love of you to bless the other people that you come into contact with. And that's critically important to understand. This is what he's saying. He blessed the Jewish people because he loved them, but also to bless the Gentiles that they might come to know God. Now, this is really cool what, what Paul does. For the next few verses, he quotes passages of scriptures in the Old Testament. So what did he say in verse 9? He did this to fulfill his promises. But in this moment, he's going to quote scriptures to see this was always God's plan that he modeled through other people. Okay, so let me set the foundation one more time in case I'm not being clear. God blesses a group or an individual so that he can bless them because he loves them and that group, but he also blesses them to bless others. In verse 9, he quotes and he says, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. What's he talking about? So he's talking about a passage of Scripture. He's quoting from 2 Samuel 22, 50, which is also that that passage is put into the Psalms as Psalm 18 and specifically verse 49. So I'm going to go back to 2 Samuel. If you have your Bible, do the same. Get comfortable flipping through your Bible, understanding where things are. So 2 Samuel 22. 2 Samuel 22 takes place toward the very end of King David's life. If you don't know the story of King David, King David was the second king of Israel. The first king was a man by the name of Saul. Saul disqualified himself through not trusting God and through disobedience. While Saul was still king, God anointed David to be the next king of Israel. The fulfillment of that anointing took over a decade, took many years. David finally became king, uh, united the kingdom, and uh, was, a, was a dynamic leader, really a man after God's own heart. Uh, we did a whole series on King David and the lessons that we can learn from his life. Powerful man of God, not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but a man who consistently ran back to God, responded in repentance when he was confronted. So again, a godly man. David had success all throughout his life. David never lost a battle, a phenomenal king, a phenomenal worshiper, wrote a majority of the Psalms uh, in Scripture, which are songs or poems that were written to God. So David's this incredible man, okay? Incredible success, protection from God. Or God protected him from other people. God made a promise to David that one of his descendants would always be on the throne of Israel, which was perfectly fulfilled in Jesus. So at the end of David's life, all of this blessing, as God fulfilled all of his promises, this is what David said. He writes this beautiful psalm where he says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield. Sorry, the, the air conditioning is blowing, blew my notes here. 
uh, or my uh, page, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior. You save me from violence. Okay, that's that's just the first part of it. And he goes on for verse after verse after verse. But in verse 50, he says a, an interesting line. He says, for this, I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, plural, among the nations and sing to your name. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing praises to your name. And the same thing is quoted in Psalm, 1, uh, Psalm 18, verse 49. So when we go back, what, what Paul interprets this is he says, therefore I will praise you among, not the nations, but he says the Gentiles. He's, he's clarifying what David was saying. At that point when David was speaking, it was a nation that was praising God, the Jewish nation, Israel, Israelites, those people. But what David saw into the future is that through God's faithfulness to him, it would bring glory to God among the nations, other people groups. And so initially the Jewish people, but through God's faithfulness, the Gentiles would be blessed and encouraged. You probably know where I'm going with this, okay, if, if I haven't made it clear already. This is the same rhythm that every single one of us needs to embrace. God blesses us to be a blessing. It's what he's always done. So let's look at the other couple examples because I think they're exciting too. So let's go into verse 10. He says, and again, it is said. So this is Paul talking. So he just quotes David and what he said. He goes, and again, it is said, rejoice. O Gentiles with his people. Rejoice, O Gentiles with his people. So what is he talking about? This is Deuteronomy. So that's the fifth book of your Bible. So if you have your Bible, hop back. Deuteronomy chapter 32. So this is at the end of Moses' life. So Moses, if you don't know the story of who he is, he was a man that was, he's a Jewish boy by birth when, when he was born, but because the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, had issued a decree that the children of Israel should be killed because they were growing and multiplying too fast. Uh, the, the handmaids and the women who helped the Israelites, uh, they did not follow through with that command, and they were able to hide many of the children and, and, and uh, really not to cooperate in that destructive command. But Moses was set apart. He was put into a basket, set into a river. God supernaturally ordained his pathway to end up in Pharaoh's house. He was raised in that house. He made a blunder as an adult, murdered someone uh, in defense of the Israelites, fled for many years, and yet God called him to go back and speak to Pharaoh and to be the spokesperson for Israel. Through him and his faithfulness, God set them free, the whole Israelite nation, out of slavery, out of Egypt. He led them faithfully through the wilderness for 40 years. During that time, God did supernatural miracle after supernatural miracle from the initial 10 plagues that he did to set them free to defending them in the wilderness against other nations, providing supernatural food, providing meat for them, providing water for them, uh, allowing them not their clothes not to wear out, for them not to swell up from walking in the heat at all times. I mean, just miracle after miracle after miracle. God's going to go ahead of them, drive out the promised land. Okay, so again, I could go on and on. I'm, I'm sure you can sense my excitement in this. But at the end of Moses' life, he writes, actually the book of Deuteronomy, but at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, he writes a, a song of worship. Same thing that David did. 
and he's declaring the faithfulness of God. And here's what he says in verse 43. He says, rejoice with him. And in our translation, the ESV, it says, O heavens. But if you actually look at the note in that and go down, O heavens is actually translated in the Septuagint as O nations. He's saying the same thing. He's saying it more of a broad term of all people groups. He goes, rejoice with him, O heavens or O nations or people groups. Bow down to him, all gods, for he avenges the blood of his children and takes vengeance on his adversaries. He repays those who hate him and cleanses his people's lands. He's speaking prophetically of what God's going to do in the promised land. But what is it ultimately going to lead toward? The other nations, other people groups worshiping God. So let's go back to Romans. I hope that, honestly, I hope that my excitement can be your excitement. I love the word of God. I love these truths. I love how truth gets layered and we can see God's incredible plan. In verse 11, he says, and again, Isaiah says, and he just quotes them, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. Uh, so actually, I was just going to leave that by itself, but I'm going to go and look at that passage. So this is Isaiah. Oh, actually, did, did I skip a verse? Here, let me, I did. I skipped a verse. Verse 11. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the people extol him. So again, this is Psalm 117, verse 1. It's actually the shortest Psalms in the Bible. It's only two, two verses, I think. Uh, Psalm 117. I'm going to head over there. So we're hopping around today, but I hope you get excited. Yeah, it's two verses. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. So again, this is prophetically being spoken. Um, I, I, don't want to, I don't want you to think ever that I exaggerate stuff, because I'm not. At this point, the Jewish people, when they wrote these words, they understood that God had a relationship with one people group. And so they thought other people would have to join into that people group. But for some, they prophetically spoke understanding that God's relationship with them will eventually lead to the salvation of people all over the world, all other people's groups. All right, so now let's go to verse 12. This is Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10. So you might be tired from flipping through your Bible, but I'll flip for us so you don't have to. Isaiah 11, verse 10, this is what he's quoting. He says, In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. I'm going to read it one more time. In that day, the root of Jesse, which is the son of Jesse, which is David, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. So how does Paul word it in verse 12? He says, and again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, talking about the lineage of King David, which is Jesus. The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. So the other people group are going to eventually find their hope in Jesus. Every nation, they're actually, I love how it's even worded in uh, Isaiah. They're going to inquire of God. They're going to inquire, who is this person who brings hope? Now, I, I just want to say something. I put it in my notes. We should live a life that invokes curiosity, curiosity about God. Uh, I oftentimes say, like, we should live a life that people just ask, like, why are you that way? <laughs> why are you so patient? Why are you so loving? 
Why do you have such hope, even in the times of difficulty? And we should live in a dramatic way. Why? Because we have dramatic hope. We have supernatural hope. And he says the, the nation will actually inquire of Jesus, like, who is this God? Who is this man who relates to you, the one who loves you? And when they inquire, when we live a life that's this way, they inquire, we can point them to Jesus. And then he gives the last verse that we're going to look at for our study today. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. I'm going to read it one more time. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. May God do in you so that he can also do through you. May God do something supernatural in your life so that he can work through your life to bless other people. This is the, the hope that we have. It's the responsibility that we have to allow God to move in supernatural ways in our lives so that other people, other people can be drawn toward him. So what does that mean? Let's put it bluntly. We have to walk in faith that leads to obedience. If we mimic the world, there's nothing dramatic about that. There's no reason for someone to inquire of God. But when we live dramatically different the way God's designed us and called us to live, and we walk in faith and obedience, then people will be curious, and God will use that to draw them toward him. I'm going to speak for myself, but I, I know your hearts are going to be stirred by this too. I want to get to heaven with a clear conscience knowing I did everything I physically could to be used by God in a supernatural way so that everyone that he gave me the opportunity to influence would know him. I realize not everyone I know is going to turn their hearts to Jesus, but I don't want that to be because of my selfishness or my laziness or my disobedience. And I know you feel the same way. So what is God calling you to do? What is God equipping you? What do you need more of, of his spirit to move in your life so that you can be the supernatural example he's called you to be? I hope this is a blessing to you. I love you guys, and I can't wait to see you on Sunday. God bless.